Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org. This week's message is by Brian Candelo. When I was in high school, I had a good friend that had a uh, really close connection with somebody that worked for the Pittsburgh Steelers. I paused so you could say amen (laughs) to that, but all right. There's some... So we worked with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Nobody? All right. Um, Just checking to see who was saved in the room, but no, 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 no. It's not the case, not the case. Anyway, moving along. Uh, one, One Saturday afternoon, he invited me to go down to a Steeler practice. It was this cold, wintry Saturday afternoon, and we got to go down and and kind of see behind the scenes. And the first thing we did was we went into the facility and went into the locker room. And I had kind of visions of going into this locker room, that it was just going to be this amazing experience. But the reality is it was a locker room. Really, the only thing overwhelming about that was the smell. So... We didn't spend too long in the locker room, but we got to go out on the field, and that was the exciting part. We got to be out on the field with the players as they were doing their walkthrough before the game, before Sunday's game, and it was uh, snowy, and there was snow on the edge of the field, so we were standing on the sidelines, and there was a bunch of players in their groups talking to their coaches, and they were running this kickoff drill on the field, and after a while, I noticed that a lot of the players began making snowballs. A bunch of players. And as the players on the field started running past them on these kickoff drills, they'd be talking in their meeting, and then they would just turn and fire these snowballs at their own team. It was hilarious. And I really, really wanted to do it. I was so close to packing a snowball, and then I thought, right, I'd be the one that they turned the snowballs on. I mean, these were big guys. Those snowballs were moving. Some of these guys got paid to throw things for a living. That was their job. They were just chucking snowballs. And it was funny, and they were laughing, and then they would turn and pretend like nothing ever happened. And I don't know if the people on the field thought it was funny, the ones who were at least in pads but getting crushed with snowballs, but this idea of your own team throwing stuff at you, friendly fire. In, In that setting, it was a joke. It was harmless. It was funny. But it's not always the case. Sometimes teammates go after each other. Two years ago in the English Premier League, the soccer league in Europe, there's a team from Edinburgh that was playing a game. It was nationally televised. And after the whistle blew, two guys on the same team started going after each other. And not just with words, with their fists. They started punching each other and fighting each other right there on TV. It was so bad they had to get broken up and each of them got a red card and one of them had to get carted off the field on a stretcher. It was just an ugly scene. Two years ago, the starting quarterback for the Jets, Geno Smith, missed the first nine games of the season with a broken jaw. He had a broken jaw because his own teammate sucker punched him in the locker room and broke his jaw. His own team, I can't even imagine the animosity that allows you to hurt your starting quarterback. Titus Young, a receiver for the Detroit Lions, this past year, He wasn't getting the ball as much as he thought he should, and so he started running the wrong routes. No matter what play was called, he'd just go out and do his own thing. And he got called out for it after the game, and so he tweeted this, I have never been selfish, but if I'm not going to get the football, I'm not going to play anymore. (laughs) Kind of makes you wonder if he knows what selfish means. But can you imagine the fact that you're going to sabotage your own team 
for your own selfish desires. I mean, it takes a special kind of bitterness to hurt your own team. You expect the opposition to come after you. That's why they're called the opposition. But when it's your own team that is wounding you, it stings all the more. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about this idea that inward fighting hinders outward focus. We can't have a consistent outward focus with constant inward fighting. It's true on a team. It's true in a business. It's true with a family. And it's true with the body of Christ. Because when we have inward fighting as the body of Christ, the people of God and the move of God come to a screeching halt. When we can't get along with each other, when we begin fighting amongst each other, the people of God and the move of God come to a screeching halt. And it doesn't just hurt us, it hurts the world because we can't be on mission. There are things that God is calling us to do for the world, and we can't have that outward focus when there's a constant inward fighting. Galatians 6.10 says this, whenever we have opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. That we need to keep our eyes open to be doing things for other people that are good. But especially we need to look out for each other and be blessing each other. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're continuing on in our series in Nehemiah, from rubble to revival. We're in the fourth week of that series. In the first week, we talked about how Nehemiah was a man of prayer. In the second week, Nehemiah is faced with this problem. We talked about the idea that our lives will be directed by our ultimate problem. Last week, Rod talked to us about all of this external opposition and how they responded to the external opposition. And this week, we're going to see the work of God get put on hold while Nehemiah has to deal with infighting, while Nehemiah has to dive in and figure out what's going wrong with his own people. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 5. If you want to grab one from the pew there, it looks just like this. We'll be on page 774. A little bit of background to this story, just in in chapter 4, they're they're building the walls around Jerusalem, and Nehemiah has called everybody that can work to come and work, and they're facing opposition from outside, and they're hearing words that they're going to get attacked, so it says, we worked early and late from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. We carried our weapons with us at all times even when we went for water. So it was this dangerous time because of all of this external opposition. But let's jump into chapter 5 here and and hear about the internal. Verse 1, it says, About this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest. Now, I want to pause real quick. And, And already we know it's a big deal. We know it's a big deal because it's the men and their wives. The wives stepped up. This was a big deal. The wives were saying, listen, Our husbands are all day working at the wall, and I'm home with the kids. This is not right. And the men knew that it was easier to work on the wall than it was to stay home with the children. (laughs) The wives were saying that because there was nothing to feed the children as well. But here's who they were. They were crying out in protest against their fellow Jews. They weren't crying out in protest against the external opposition. They were crying out in protest against their own community. They were saying, it's our own family that's harming us. They were saying, we have such large families, we need more food to survive. 
Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And others said, we have had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We have already sold some of our daughters, and we are helpless to do anything about it. For our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. Their own community was a part of this. Their own community was hurting them. There was the haves and the have-nots, and the haves had what they had because they had taken much of it from the have-nots within their own family. And you read that there was a famine there which made things even worse. And so they had mortgaged everything that they had of value, even to the point of selling their children into slavery. It's not something, obviously, that they wanted to do. It just is telling us how desperate the times were. And they would do something like that so that they could keep maybe a field to have some sort of income to provide for the rest of their family. And you read about this in scripture, it's a a practice that's not prohibited, but it's strictly regulated. Exodus 21 and Leviticus 25 talk about the process of doing this, and your child really would just be a, a servant for another family up to six years. And you could redeem your child back at any time, and then after the six year, if you could not, you were to uh, get your child back after that. But this was desperate times. This was a big deal. There was a lot of hurting people. And Nehemiah was probably even a part of this because he had taken everybody that could work to work on the wall, which means they couldn't provide for their families. And in Nehemiah building up the wall, all these people didn't like that. And so maybe trade stopped. And Nehemiah is a part of this. But all that to say that this was a time for people to rally around their community. This was not a time to take advantage of each other. This was a time to bless each other, but we don't find that going on. And so I want to pause for just a minute and remind us of this truth. Community is critical. And I want to pause there for a minute because if we don't believe that truth, then everything else in this chapter, we're going to be like, yeah, so what's the big deal? And so I want to remind us this morning, we are on the same team. We are on the same team. For better or for worse, I think ultimately for better. Seriously, look around this room. This is your family. This is your community. To quote High School Musical, we're all in this together. (laughs) This is our family. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. We are a part of the body of Christ. But all too often, we feel like we are a team of one, that we have to look out for ourselves first, because if I don't look out for the needs of me, nobody else will, because everybody else has their own needs. And maybe even when I mention that we're all family, you might not have such a great picture of what family is. Me saying that your family might scare you more than encourage you. Maybe you have the sentiment that George Burns has when he says, happiness is having a large, loving, caring, close-knit family in another city. That maybe, maybe that's how we feel. But we have to recapture this love of Christian community. And maybe even for the first time, we have to actually have a love for Christian community. 
We need to be a people that love each other. We need to be a people that love Christian community because it is a value in society that is decreasing. Christian community doesn't have the same energy that it used to have. Several years ago, the New York Times put out a special edition magazine called God Decentralized. And it was about a major cultural shift in religion. And so their thesis was this. Over the last 50 years, religion has lost its hold on America. And then they had many articles within the special edition, and some people were praising this fact, saying, finally, a return to rationalism. And some people were saying, no, no, everything that's gone wrong in our culture is because religion has lost its grip on society. But within this thesis, they noted two major things. And the first was this. Spirituality is at an all-time high. That there's more spiritual hunger in America than there's been in a long time even though religion is losing its hold. But the second thing they noticed is, is that people are searching for that spirituality on their own outside of religious institutions. So spirituality is at an all-time high, but people are seeking spirituality outside of Christian community, outside of the church. It's this idea of being spiritual but not religious, and maybe you've heard that term. You see, in our culture, spiritual has come to be connected with this internal practice and thought life. And religion has come to be connected with this organizational, denominational machine. And so people want spirituality, but they don't want religion. People want something deeper and meaningful in their life, but they don't want Christian community. And so the study says that in America... One out of every five people would say they're spiritual but not religious, which means they have a spirituality about them, but they're not connected to any kind of church. And the reason that this is a big deal for us is that especially among those under the age of 30, 35% of those people would say they're spiritual but not religious. One in three people under the age of 30 would say that. Which means as this generation grows up, less and less Christian community. It's this idea of, I will do it on my own. People are coming to God for help oftentimes, but they're saying, God, do that individually in my life outside of church. It had a, a survey in the article that asked this question, do you believe you can be a good Christian without being connected to a church? 81% of the people said yes. 81% of the people said, yeah, I can be a Christian without being connected to church because these people are going to the internet for their spirituality and for their community. There are so many things, however, that we will never learn if we are not in Christian community. There are so many ideas, there are so many truths that we will never learn unless we are connected to Christian community. You cannot develop Christian character in solitude. We need to be with each other. God wants to help us individually, but he wants to relate us corporately. God wants to help us individually, but he wants to relate us all together because we're a part of each other. It says that in Romans chapter 12. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. And so we need to have that understanding, that love of Christian community. Christian 
community is critical for us. And so I would ask you this question. Are you engaged in one? Are you leaning into community? And I don't just mean, do you come once a month? Or, and I don't just mean I visited one time. This church has some great small groups. It has great community groups. It has men's groups and women's groups. Or you could volunteer somewhere and find community there. There are so many places for you to lean in and to share your life and to have other people share their lives with you. And that is crucial for us. It's vital because that's what God has called us to be. And it's important for us to remember, even in the context of a story like this, when we see infighting that's hindering their outward focus. So what's Nehemiah's response? Verse 6, he says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry. Of course he was angry. He was angry because of all the effort that it took to fight the external opposition. And then all of a sudden they're coming to him saying, it's our own people that are hurting us now. After thinking it over. I spoke out against these nobles and officials. I told them, you are hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. Then I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. So Nehemiah calls a family meeting. All right, everybody, it's time to get together. Who's working on the wall when he's calling this family meeting? I'm guessing nobody. I'm guessing nobody, because he called everybody to meet together. The work of God, the people of God, come to a screeching halt because of this infighting. They can't focus on the outward things that they need to do because they have to deal with the internal problems. At this meeting, I said to them, we are doing all we can to redeem our Jewish relatives who have had to sell themselves to pagan foreigners, but you are selling them back into slavery again. How often must we redeem them? And they had nothing to say in their defense. Then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God in order to avoid being mocked by enemy nations? They were taking advantage of one another. They were charging interest to one another, which according to scripture, Deuteronomy 23, Exodus 22, you could charge interest when you loaned things to foreigners, but you were not to charge interest when you loaned things to family, to fellow Jews. You were not supposed to do that. As a matter of fact, they were not just charging interest. They were kind of like pawnbrokers. They were accepting things like secured loans. You give me this piece of property, I'll give you this money, that kind of thing. And they weren't supposed to be doing any of those kind of things. But they began taking advantage of one another. They were taking advantage of their community. And Nehemiah says, stop. Which I think is a great, a great place for us to stop. Stop taking advantage of community. Stop taking advantage of family. Stop trying to benefit or gain or profit from your own family that way. Leviticus 25, it's in a passage all about taking care of community. It says, show your fear of God by not taking advantage of each other. I am the Lord your God. And this is a problem that can exist in church communities, in church family. Because we know that scripture says we need to love each other and take care of each other and give to each other without asking for anything in return. And sometimes we in this community can take advantage of that and think this community is there so that I can receive. And we're trying to get away with stuff. I played a lot of basketball growing up. 
Any chance I could get, I played in, in inner city leagues, I played in church leagues, any time that I could find a door open to a gym or a court that had lights or anything that was open, I went to play basketball. I played one summer in an inner city basketball league in this neighborhood that I can't even believe my parents let me go to. It was this inner city, scary, sketchy kind of neighborhood, but we were super excited to be playing the best in the city. And so we would we'd drive up and we'd lock the doors and we'd walk to the court just kind of really quietly and, and then we'd get killed, metaphorically. Um, they would just beat us, it just terrible, and we would never say a word. We won two games all summer. There was a Jewish heritage community center that had all these little guys that were like playing basketball as a second language. We beat them twice. But the rest of the summer, we just got killed. It was awesome. It was so much fun. You'd show up, you'd shut up, you'd get beat up, you'd go home. It was great. And then I played in some church leagues that were awful. Because people would just run their mouths and they would follow you and they wouldn't say anything about it and they would talk trash and they would treat you terribly and then they'd play, pray a hypocritical prayer at the end of the game. God, thanks that we can gather together. And I'd be like, we should be praying for forgiveness, people, <laughs> for what just happened. I would so much rather play in an inner city league than a church league. Because in the inner city league, you didn't get away with anything. But in the church league, they thought they could get away with everything. And sometimes we can be like that. Sometimes we feel like we can come into this community and we can just get away with stuff. We can get away with saying stuff to each other. We can get away with kind of using each other. We can get away with taking advantage of each other because we're all Christians. Now, I know that this is a good place. And I know that Salem Alliance is a healthy place, but that doesn't take away that desire, that temptation. And I know sometimes that happens. And it probably doesn't happen in the form of us charging high rates of interest to each other. And it probably doesn't happen in the form of people selling their children to us. But it happens in other ways. Maybe it's this idea. This community exists to serve me. Maybe that's a way we take advantage of. We have this feeling that this community really exists to serve me. This idea that we make far more withdrawals and no deposits into this community. That people are only as good as the stuff that they can get us and give us and do for us. And when they can no longer do that, then they don't really necessarily have the same value anymore. Almost this entitlement. Church exists to serve me. Now, I know that there are seasons in our lives where we don't have anything to give. And I know that there are seasons of our lives where we need people to make deposits in our lives. And that's not how it should be all the time. You see, if that's the way you view church, you're always going to be dissatisfied. Because the church will never do enough for you. It's never going to be enough. You're always going to be looking for more. And you're always going to end up bouncing from one place to the next, to the next, to the next. Christian community is deposits and withdrawals and deposits and withdrawals in this community. We exist for each other. Another way that we can take advantage of each other is this idea of this community needs to listen to me. It's the thou shalts and the thou shalt nots that we place on other people maybe in this community. Where we can end up placing burdens on people that they weren't meant to carry. We see this in the Pharisees. Matthew 23, it says that they placed unbearable religious demands on people. And I'm not talking about the gospel. I'm talking about traditions. 
I'm talking about things that we really believe in because that's how we were raised. And if it's important to me, it should be important to the people around me. And so we can guilt other people. We can make them carry things that they were never meant to carry. We can shame other people. Maybe it's by sarcasm. Maybe it's by our words. And we can make other people feel inadequate while trying to make ourselves feel righteous. It makes us feel good. And sometimes we do that by talking about certain things. Sometimes we try and press our musical preference on other people. Like this is the way that we should be worshiping. Or maybe it's a story that begins, well, back in my day, we did it right. Or maybe young people, it's a story that begins, well, currently we really have it going on. Back in your day, you were missing the mark. Or maybe it's about dress that people should wear. Maybe it's about where people should volunteer. I worked at a church in Western Pennsylvania, and I heard monthly from pastors in that district, if you are a real Christian, you go to Mahaffey Camp. They preached Mahaffey Camp to the point where I'd never been to the camp. I still haven't been to the camp. I guess I'm not a real Christian. But I had students coming to me saying, well, are we going to this camp? And I'd say, no, we're not going to that camp. And they were all disappointed as if I'd set them on like the wide path to the bad place, right? Because we're not going to that camp because they heard again and again, that's what good Christians do. They go to camp, in particular, this camp. And we tend to elevate things to the level of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father. I believe in this song choice. I believe in this political party. And we put burdens on people that they were never meant to carry. And we begin to take advantage of people and we begin to create friction in this community. And when we do that, the work of God and the people of God come to a screeching halt. Because our inward fighting hinders our outward focus. And we can't have consistent outward focus with constant inward bickering and constant inward friction and constant inward fighting. And so I don't know what your mindset is when you come into this place. I don't know if you walk in the door and you go, I hope that youth guy's not preaching. Or you can say, I, I hope the, this this person's leading worship, or I hope I don't see that person, or I hope I do see that person so I can tell them about this or that or the other. I don't know what your mindset is, but I know that we are called to love each other, and I know that our mindset should be, how can I love this family? How can I serve this family? How can I encourage this family? Because that's what God wants us to do. There's so many verses in scripture. I, here's three of them, just real quick. It says in John 13, love each other. Because the way we love each other is going to prove to the world that we truly follow Jesus. And so we need to love one another. First Peter 4, it says love one another. Because love covers over all that stuff that we think is so important sometimes. All that stuff that we want to elevate to this certain level, love covers Hebrews 10 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Are we coming in here saying, how can I bless people? How can I love people? How can I serve people in this community? And there maybe is something that you need to own. 
And there maybe is some friction that you had a part of. And maybe there's something going on between you and somebody else in this room that needs healing. Verse 10 of chapter 5. When I first read this, I was surprised. I had to read it a couple times. This is Nehemiah talking. He said, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers, have been lending the people money and grain, but now let us stop this business of charging interest. So he says, you shouldn't be charging interest. And then he says, but I've been doing the same thing. Let us stop this business of charging interest to each other. He owned his stuff in chapter 1, and he owned his stuff in chapter 5. That we need to own our mistakes. And I would say to us, the Bible says, it's your move. It doesn't matter where it started. We have a tendency to be like, no, it's their move. It's someone else's move. Bible says it's our move. In Matthew chapter 18, it says, if someone sins against you, go to them privately. In Matthew chapter 5, it says, if someone has something against you, go to them. Either way, if you sin against someone else, if someone else sins against you, you go to them. It's your move in both instances. And maybe you're going to them and you're confessing and you're owning up to your part and you're repenting. And maybe you're going to them saying, I'm really sorry that there's friction. And maybe you are extending forgiveness where you never thought you would. It's our move either way. Because this Christian community is that important. Because the world is going to understand Jesus by the way that we treat each other. And so we have to own our stuff. And we have to have the courage to make that move. One more thing, just in closing. Look at verse 11. He says, you must restore their fields, vineyards, olive groves, and homes to them this very day. And repay the interest you charged when you lent them money, grain, new wine, and olive oil. And they replied, we, we will do it, they said. And I love that he says, this very day. Verse 11 does not say, and Nehemiah got some people together, and he formed a committee that met every other Thursday for two hours, and he created a 12-month program that was going to have gradual step-down procedures so that they could return things in due time over the course of time, unless they'd already spent that money, and then, no. He said, if you took it, restore it. Today. This very day. He's saying, today is the day. Today's the day that we do these things. And so, if community is critical, are we connected? Are we connected to community? Today's the day to make a phone call and ask. If there's a way that we can stop taking advantage of and start loving, that's today. Is there something you can do to love and encourage? How can you lean into that truth? And maybe there's friction. Maybe there's some animosity that you need to deal with. Today is the day. Because the world needs us to be a body that loves each other so that we can be on mission. Because we know that we can't have consistent inward fighting if we want to have consistent outward focus. I want to close with this. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's, it's an illustration about the importance of every member of the body. Now, I rewrote this for Salem Alliance Church. This would be the um, RCV, Revised Candela version 
of this passage. So you're not going to find it exactly like this in scripture, but let me read it for you. Our church is a family, though it is made up of many different people, and though its people are many, they form one unit. So it is with Christ. We have all been baptized into one body by one spirit, and we all share the same spirit, whether Salem or Silverton, Dallas or Kaiser, Turner or Monmouth. Now this church is not one person, but many. If the younger generation should say, because I am not like the older generation, I do not belong to this body, they would not for that reason cease to be a member of this community. And if one group should say, because I belong to this political party and not that one, they would not for that reason cease to be a part of this family. If the whole church worked with preschool, where would the community group leaders be? If the whole church were like Laura, where would the Jennifers be? If the whole church were like Mike, where would the Johns be? If the whole family was like Steve Fowler, where would the sanity be? (laughs) But in fact, God has arranged the members of this community, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all similar, where would the beautiful differences be? As it is, there are many members, but one body. Those who have been connected for years cannot say to the newly arrived, I don't need you. On the contrary, those members of the body that seem to be weaker are the ones we can't do without. And the people that we think are less valuable, we should treat with special honor. God has combined the members of Salem Alliance Church and given greater honor to the members that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its members should have equal concern for each other. If one person suffers, we all suffer with that person. If one person rejoices, we all rejoice with them. Now you are all Salem Alliance Church, and each one of you is a part of it. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your word. And I pray that you would just stir up in us again a love for this community a love for this family that you would teach us to honor and respect and bless and encourage each other. And God, that you would just keep us from infighting that hinders that outward focus. We want to be a church on mission. Give us courage to own our stuff. Give us boldness to step up and ask for forgiveness so that we can bless neighborhoods, so that we can bless nations, so that others see us but see you in us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Salem Alliance Church is a community of Jesus followers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. You can view today's entire service online at livestream.com backslash Salem Alliance.